right, good morning. Welcome to Rolling Hills. Um, just want to start off by uh, doing a little family business, and if that's if you've been part of Rolling Hills Faith Family for, uh, for quite a while, you know the Marshalls. And um, this morning, uh, John Marshall unexpectedly passed away. And uh, so, man, you know, last night he was getting ready to be with us here this morning. And, uh, and then overnight, he got not only to be with his faith family, but with, with his Savior face to face. And uh, so he's doing great. Um, uh, yeah. But, man, he, he, uh, he loved you. He loved the Lord, obviously. He loved his, faith, his family. And, uh, and so he has three daughters. He has... A lot of grandchildren, great grandchildren. Um, so we praying for Karen. Um, the Tillotsons, Heidi Tillotson is his daughter, so you may know her as well from connected to here. But uh, yeah, just be praying, praying for the family. In fact, let's just do that together, okay? Father, um, man, our hearts uh, are saddened and heavy this morning with uh, the news of John's passing. And uh, you know, as we've said, we we also, though, just recognize in this moment of grief, we have just some just great hope. Uh, we thank you that He's in your presence, that He has never thought or felt or experienced life more fully than He is at this moment. And so we thank you for your goodness and your love for Him. And we also thank you for your love for his family. And we ask that as they grieve, as they hurt, that um, you would just be really sweet to them. That you would be um, their strength and their comfort and um, their hope. And uh, so we thank you for uh, John and his life. And we thank you for your care for his family and his passing. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, um, we are in the book of Acts, and uh, man, just, it is so fun. Every week as we go through this, and we're going fast, we're not, we're, we're skipping some verses, and, and today I'm skipping chapter nine, which is like one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts, um, but it's also one of the most familiar, and, and that is when Saul the person who was hunting down Christians and having them killed because he was a devout um, Jewish Pharisee. And he, uh, he meets Jesus and he's converted. And, and going from hunting Christians, he's become a Christian. And his life is being transformed. And, and yet, can you imagine the Christians who are saying, yeah, this is just a way for you to get in and then you're going to arrest us and kill us and yet, so he is just on this journey, and it's beautiful. But um, we're seeing that the, the church was launched, and in, in, in it was launched by the Holy Spirit, and it's this movement of God, and it's a movement of conversion. We need to remember that, okay? Because um, it's not a movement of, oh, yeah, I'm considering this religion, and uh, so I would like to now kind of align myself to its a theology and its practices, its religious practices, and so that's what I'm going to do. It, no, that wasn't what was happening. It was the Holy Spirit was changing people's lives. They were converting. Okay, converting is is a simple word, but it means to it means a complete change of direction. It means my life was going after this. This was my hope. This was the oxygen. This is what what gave me life and hope and and and, and meaning. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm chasing after the wind. It is not right. And now I am completely turning, and I'm surrendering myself to God. And um, he is my hope. And, and so I'm just submitting myself to him and, and the hope that I'm finding in Jesus. And so it's a complete about face. And this is radically changing people's lives. And it started with the Jews in Jerusalem, radically changing their lives. And, and they began to grow and grow and grow by the thousands until the other Jews were thinking, this is not good, this is heresy, this is a threat to our religion. And so the Jewish leadership started um, persecuting, threatening 
these Christians, and, and, and it resulted in actually um, martyrdom, and, and Stephen, we read about, was martyred, and, and that was just used by God to get the Christians to, to not just gather together, but to scatter, and as you scatter, start sharing the good news of Jesus with others, not just Jews, but also to everyone, and this is a kind of a hard pill for these Jewish Christians to swallow, because Everybody else isn't really of the same cloth as we are. I mean, we are God's people after all. And so you want me to start ch- sharing it with everybody and God is, is, is concerned with all and loves all and wants all to know about him and God's saying, yep, that's it. And so last week we looked, about, we looked at Philip who um, went and through the direction of the Holy Spirit, chased down um, an Ethiopian eunuch who was seeking God and had a chance to, to with this, this African man um, who was sexually altered and all of that would have been really suspect to a good Jewish man and yet Philip was led by the Holy Spirit to reach out for him and led him to the Lord and baptize him. So now we are to a chapter 10 which really is, is another pivotal point in the good news of Jesus going out because it's breaking another barrier, a barrier that had existed for a long time, a barrier that was created by man who thought that they were following God, but what they were doing is they were just isolating themselves from God's real intent, which was to be a blessing to the world. And instead of being humbly at God's service and a blessing to the world, they became isolated and felt proud and puffed up and looked down on the world. And God's saying, hey, for my heart is for all. And if you're a follower of me, then you've got to get this right. You need to grow in your thinking, loving, and living. And that's where we're at um, today. So in chapter 10, verse 1, um, begins a, a chapter which is just a paradigm shift for the church, which was, at this time was still mostly Jewish followers of Jesus. And it says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Okay, and so Caesarea, we're going to put a map up. It's on the coast. Um, and this is Peter's journey. Peter, when he, he left Jerusalem, he was guided by the Holy Spirit into to Lydda, where he, he shared the good news of Jesus. And now he's in Joppa, where we, we pick this up. But up in Caesarea, about 30 miles to the north of Joppa, is this Roman centurion whose life is being changed um, and who's, who's thinking, you know, instead of all the Roman gods and the Greek gods that we have worshiped, my people have worshiped, I'm thinking that there actually is one true God and he's on this spiritual journey. And so he's in Caesarea. Um, Caesarea is a port town. Uh, we're going to take this down. We're going to put up a picture in a sec where... Um, you're going to get a picture of it. There you go. This is the archaeological dig at Caesarea today. It's a port town. It, is the, it was the largest port in Palestine at the time. It's where the, the governor of Judea lived. It's where all the Roman elite and wealthy, when they came to um, Palestine, that they, they um, would stay or live in Caesarea. Um, there's a couple Caesareas in the Bible. So this one is referred to as Caesarea by the Sea. And um, what you're looking at here is the Hippodrome during the time of Christ and during the time of Acts. And um, this is where they had horse races, chariot races. Uh, and this is an ongoing archaeological dig. So this picture was taken, oh man, I, I bet you it was taken uh, by a group that I led maybe 20 years ago. And so right now, if we went back there, you would see this, but you would see all the stuff behind it it uncovered, and Caesarea was a big place, and, it, and that dig continues, and, um, and so that's where Cornelius is, who is a centurion, which means he um, was over 100 soldiers, and they were an Italian cohort, which you think, well, the Roman army, they, of course they're Italian, and it's like, no, actually, most of the Roman soldiers that would have been in Palestine and, and, and um, governing over Palestine on behalf of Rome, would have been probably Assyrians. Because what they would do, they would conquer lands, and then they would take 
their armies and convert them into the Roman army. And so probably most of the soldiers came from Assyria, which was still in the Middle East, just north of, of Palestine. And so that would have been most of the army. But these were um, Italian Roman soldiers. And so these were, this was a special group and he was a special leader among them. Okay, so verse two, a devout man. This is Cornelius, a, a devout man who feared God with all his household. And so he was sincerely seeking God and he brought others along on the journey. And he gave alms generously to, to the people and he prayed continually to God. And what that's saying is this is legit because his heart, in his pursuit of God, his heart is reflecting God because he's generous and, and he's constantly talking with God. And so um, God says, okay, I'm going to send you some help. And so he gives Cornelius a vision. And he says, uh, Cornelius, there is a man 30 miles south of you named Peter who can um, explain to you who I am and give you a more full understanding of who I am and how you can know me. And so send for Peter. He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, okay? So that's what, um, so that's what he does. Now, when I was reading this, the first thing I thought is last week, we ended on the, on the last verses in chapter eight, and it said, after Philip talked to the Ethiopian eunuch, he became, uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch became a Christian. He baptized him instantly. By the way, we're gonna have a few baptisms here in a few minutes. Um, and then he took off and he went to Ashdod, which was the old capital of um, the Philistines, and he shared the good news of Jesus there. And then it says he went up to Caesarea. So Philip's in Caesarea. There's a guy in Caesarea who wants to know God. And God says, yeah, I'm sending, I, I want Peter. He's 30 miles away. It's like, what's, what's the deal with Philip? Is he not good enough? Well, God's doing something unique here. And, and he wants um, people to understand a major point, his followers to understand something, and that is his heart is for all people. And so get over your prejudices. And so if I just send you a, an evangelist, Philip, um, you might not believe him, but if I send you Peter, and then he tells you that God is for everyone, and, and God offers hope to everyone, and we are to have nothing, no human barriers between us in sharing the good news of Jesus, well, if one of the original apostles, not only one of the apostles, but one of the, the leaders of the apostles, Peter, is the one saying this, then maybe you'll believe it. And so he sends Peter. And so while Cornelius is having this vision about Peter, Peter is also having a vision. He's having a vision of his own, but his vision looks differently. His vision is all of a sudden like this big picnic blanket gets, gets put down before him and is covering the earth and on it, are all the animals of the earth. And what's unique about that is we think, okay, all the animals, cool. Well, for Peter, he's thinking, there's all kinds of animals here. There are clean animals that I know, I, that I can take and, and remain clean, and then there's the unclean animals, but they're all being mixed together. And God says, Peter, see all those animals? Kill and eat. And so I thought about going off about hunting, but I, but I decided not to. Um, uh, but this is confusing to Peter. And he says, no, I, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do that because I've never eaten an unclean animal. And God's saying, you're missing the point. If I've created it, it's clean. And so the, the big point is you've separated yourself. You're part of a religion that have separated yourself in a way that I never intend you to be, to be separated. And what Peter's thinking is, hey, in um, the book of Leviticus in chapter 20, you specifically said that we are set apart and we are, and we are to live differently than the world around us. And part of that was to take part and eat these animals, but not those animals. And so that was clearly let out. Our, you know, explained in, in the Mosaic law. And so Peter's going, I'm confused. Is this a trick? You're trying to trick me into eating something that will make me unclean? And um, God's saying, no, no, I created it, it's clean. And so why did those laws exist? They existed 
Because God says, as my people, I want to bless the whole world. And so what I want you to do is I want you to treat each other in a way that's honoring to me, and I want you to, to live for me in a way that's honoring to me, and it's going to look different than the world around you. And so I'm going to give you some things to do that are going to look different, so you're not going to be tempted to just um, go into their practices, start messing with how they live and what they worship, because I want, I, you're set apart for me. He says, I'm holy, and now I'm setting you apart as holy. And, and holy just means set apart. And so God is unique, he's holy, he's righteous, and we're asked as his followers to align with his character. And so it was a way for followers of, of God to know that they are now uniquely following God, but also to recognize that they need to be set apart and holy. And just with the rules that you're giving me that reflect your character, um, I'm, not, I'm not making all of them. It's hard. And it was, it was a point that God was making that I'm holy, you're not. You're need, you need a constant reminder that you need the mercy and the grace of God. Constant reminder, because we're separated by um, your brokenness and my holiness. But instead of that constant reminder, which should have caused them to be humble, they took those practices as a way to isolate themselves and to think, oh, we're God's special people because we do this. And then as a result, they didn't look at themselves with humility, they looked at themselves with superiority the people around them. And they built barriers between people around them. And instead of being a blessing to the world, they were isolated from the world. And that wasn't the heart of God. And so God now is going to Peter and say, hey, let's get this right. I want you to spread the good news of me to the world. And that means everybody, and you have got to get over your prejudices. You have man-made prejudices that make you think better about yourself than other people. And that's not true. Those are lies. And so now it's time to deal with it. And I'm telling you, anything that I made is not unclean. I mean, Jews would go, um, they would not go to a Gentile's house for dinner. They wouldn't even go to their house at all. They would never have a, a Gentile into their house because they've taken these practices and they've expanded upon them to say not only are these these things unclean, but these people are unclean. And they'll make me unclean if I'm around them. And so stay away. And even if they went through like a Gentile town or a Gentile country, and then they came back into the Holy Land, they would then go through a ritual of shaking the dust off their feet. Because like, okay, I've been walking on unclean ground, and now I'm back into clean ground. I mean, this, this was built in to their identity. And God's saying, sometimes things that are built into your identity are wrong, they're lies, and they're messing you up. And, and so I need to correct them. And so that's what he's doing right here. And uh, Peter's like, I'm confused. I, I've never eaten anything unclean. Um, I don't think I can do that. In verse 15, a voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up um, at once into heaven. And so three times, uh, in Peter's vision, he's getting the idea, your thinking is wrong. Uh, get rid of your prejudices about other people and share the good news with all people, because that's my heart and needs to be your heart. So when he's thinking about this, and he's recognizing this, and by the way, we drift towards homogeneous groups, don't we? I mean, we drift towards people who are like ourselves. Uh, same geography, same race, same ethnicity, same values, same life experiences. If, if we're just going to drift in life, you drift to common. And God's saying, um, that's okay, but you need to intentionally go after the uncommon. Go after people who are not like you, um, because my heart are for people who are like you and not like you the same. And so your heart should be people who are for people who are like you, but also people who are not like you. And so don't have those barriers. Break through them, which means you have to step into or outside your comfort zone, don't you? Because comfort is people like me. Uncomfortable is people that 
um, their life experiences is totally different. How they've dealt with in life and how people have treated them in life and, and their experience in life is different than mine. And so to step into those, I, I know that I'm stepping into something that I am not that familiar with. I'm now, I am in over my head. I'm not even sure what to say. And God says, yeah, um, that's where I want you. That's, that's where I want you. And Peter, to his credit, is willing to step into that. And he says some stupid things, or at least, at least awkward. Okay, we're going to look at one of those things in a minute. But um, so while he's wrestling with it, it says he's confused, he's wrestling. Um, he gets a knock on his door, and it's the messengers from Cornelius. And look what Peter does. Verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guests. Jews don't do that. And so instantly, God's challenging him on a blind spot in his life, and he's beginning to respond. God's changing and softening his heart. And he invites these Gentiles into his home, which up to that moment would have been, I'm unclean. And now God's changing his paradigm. So Peter gets up the next morning. He gets his buddies who are hanging out with him, other Jews who are followers of Jesus, and he says, come with me. You're about to learn something about our God and about his heart that I'm just beginning to learn too. And so he brings, his, he brings guys with him, other Jews, and they go with Cornelius's messengers and they go to Cornelius' house. They travel the, the 30 miles north. Verse 28, and he said to them, you, now this is Peter, talking now to Cornelius, and he's just gone into his house where a bunch of family and friends are, okay? So more Gentiles. And Peter says this, um, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Now, as we read that, we don't cringe, all right? But uh, because it's talking about Jews talking to Gentiles. But if we changed the races and we said, okay, white man, black man. And a white man goes into a black man's home with a bunch of his, his friends and family who are in there. And this white man says, hey, you know that I shouldn't be here. That really this is not the right thing for white people like me to do. But God's teaching me that Maybe you're not unclean after all. Yeah, I mean, awkward. And, and, um, but he's stepping into it. He's stepping into it. And let me just say, if you have a heart for people who are not like yourself, you're going to be awkward when you step into it. I've been awkward. Um. I have said dumb things to people of color in an attempt to understand and learn from them. You know, it's, it's like there's been times where I've heard people when they talk about race relations and they, and, and they try to defend themselves that they're not racist. And while defending themselves, they're kind of proving that they're racist. You know, it, it's, it, it's a, um, I've been in conversation, I've told you this before, I, I've, I've had a chance with some of you to be in uh, these small groups that uh, were half white and half black. And we just talked about our experiences and racism and how in the heart of God and what God wants us for each other. And um, almost every one of those conversations at points were awkward. Because um, I or somebody like me was expressing themselves in a way that they weren't doing a good job of it. Heart was right, words were stumbling. And then the same thing. I had things asked of me or said that were perspectives that were awkward or even offensive. And if we would have taken offense, it would have ended conversation. But we were hoping and we were thinking the best of each other. You're a follower of Christ. We're all in this with the right heart. Let's just break through these things. And some of the words we use um, are triggering to each other. Some of, you know, there's such a political um, undertone that is 
so trying to separate us that when you even try and you have a heart to understand each other better, um, you stumble because, oh, this word means this and this word means that. And so if, if I use that word and I don't even know what you think of it and you're interpreting it a different way, it, it messes us up. And so we need to be people that have hearts that think the best of each other. And we need to ask questions and we need to listen and we need to assume the best and, and, and grow in our love for one another. But just know you're going to be stepping into the uncomfortable. And Peter was stepping into the uncomfortable. And God was just saying, I found a guy here who um, is going to be awkward. But he has a heart that wants to learn and grow and love people like I do. And uh, so I'm, I can use him. And so that's... Um, that's what happens. Verse 33. So I sent, so this is now Cornelius. Peter goes, okay, so I'm here and God's telling me something about you Gentiles that I've never really understood before, but now I'm getting it. And I think, you know, I think I need Jesus as much as you need Jesus and you need Jesus as much as I need Jesus. We're the same. So why have you called me, Cornelius? Why have you called me here? And so Cornelius says in verse 33, so I sent you, sent for you at once after I had that vision. So you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius is going, I want more of God and I'm not fully understanding him. And so would you help me know God? I mean, what a heart, isn't it? I mean, so here, here's, let's just pull a couple principles out of this. Um, and the first one is a follower of Jesus. I should always want more of God. I should have the heart of Cornelius. Man, teach me more of God. I, I want more of you. I'm, under, I'm getting some of you. I want more of you. And um, man, when's the last time you prayed that? When's the last time you've prayed, um, God, I want more of you? Yeah, I thought about that this week, and you know my first thought was? That's scary. My first thought was, because if I ask, I want to experience more of God, he's going to bring pain into my life so I can see him more clearly. And I don't want the pain. But then I was thinking, this is not scary, because ultimately I've been created to know God. So I want more of him, because that's just good, period. I want more of God. And so this week, you know, and just as we're living our lives, are, are we thinking in that? Are we thinking, I want more of what? What, what do we want more of? Well, we were created to be in a relationship with God. And so God, have our hearts yearn to want more of you. There's nothing that would be better for us in all of life than for our number one desire of our hearts to know God and know him more. And that's where... Cornelius was. He was on a journey with God and he wasn't satisfied. And for the rest of our lives, um, we shouldn't be either. Cornelius is praying for more. You know, um, that's so huge. And, and one of the reasons we don't connect to that that much is because when we think of, you know, what, you know who's a person that really knows God? We think of uniquely gifted people. You know, we think of some of the most gifted pastors in the United States and who, who we, we like listening to and we think, oh man, that person knows God. You know what? They're uniquely gifted, but they not, may not really be super tight with God. They're super tight with their gift from God. But that's why we see lots of people kind of crash and burn. We, we should think less about being impressed by people's giftedness and we should think more about I want to know God more. I, I want to be closer to God. And God, um, if we're just stuck on the gifted part, we think, oh, I'm not, I'm not uniquely gifted. So God really couldn't use me that much. And so it's okay if I'm not that close to him because we're, he's not missing out. But, but that's messed up. That's thinking, okay, God only uses a few. But God's saying, no, I, I want to use those who have a humble heart who are willing to trust me and that's everybody that's everybody it can be in that category 
as a follower of Jesus. And that's who he's using in Cornelius. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. He's going, I have a paradigm shift. I have a confession. And I'm just realizing now, even though to a degree I understood that in my, in my head, I also understood that I was uniquely um, chosen as God's favorite. And that's wrong, and I need to confess that. Because there is no race, there is, I mean, what happened to me? I was born a Jew. And because of that, God likes me more? No, it's almost embarrassing to say out loud. He said, God knows, shows no partiality. And as a follower of Jesus, now here's the second um, principle. As a follower of Jesus, I allow him to grow my heart for all people. Jesus died for all. And all people need Jesus. Me, I need Jesus as much as anyone else. Therefore, I have no right to have any feelings of superiority over others. We are equally lost and we are equally um, separated from God and we are equally in need of God's love and mercy. Period. And so if I understand the gospel, I need to deconstruct my prejudice. I mean, and we all grow up with it. Why, why do I know that? Because we're, we're selfish. I mean, this isn't news. Okay, this isn't news. But all of a sudden you start talking about racism and stuff and we start defending stuff that's not true. Like, I'm selfish. I'm selfish and so my bent is for things that serve me well. Is for things that make my life easier. And, uh, and that my experience is basically what everybody experiences is. And uh, God's saying, no, that, that's right there. That thinking builds barriers between me and others. And I need to be looking as, if I understand the gospel, the gospel knocks down barriers. The good news of Jesus knocks down barriers that humans erect. And so if I'm following Jesus and I understand his desire for me and for the world, then I have no feelings of superiority. I, I need to confront my own self-centeredness and I need to grow my heart for people around me, especially those who aren't like me. So I need to deconstruct prejudice. I need to reconstruct that in the eyes of God, every human being is of supreme value to him every human being. And that's what the gospel does in us. It breaks down those barriers. This is nothing new. Now the Jews had built up these things that isolated them and made them feel superior, but that was never God's intent. God was to pull apart a group of people that would be an example to the rest of the world that God loves them and there's hope for the world and they were to be, when, when God, it started with Abraham. Okay, Abraham's descendants ended up being the Hebrew people, the Hebrew nation. God said to Abraham, I am pulling you apart as a family called to my name because I want you to be a blessing to all people. You are blessed to be a blessing to all people. That was God's heart from the get-go. In Isaiah, when um, Isaiah the prophet is prophesying about the hope of God, he's saying there will be a day where there will be... Um, uh, you'll realize that all races will come to God. Everybody will come to God because that's God's heart because God's heart is that all people would know him. And so that's, this is nothing new but had been forgotten. And so now because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's launching the church and said, this is a barrier we gotta bust through. And he found Peter, a person who was willing to live with the discomfort of growing. And growing is uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, this, I've told you this before, but this is how slow I am. I mean, uh, I grew up in a church that when it came to Jesus, I had a lot of uh, kind of legalistic perspectives. And I quickly went from I am in need of Jesus and I am a humble person, unworthy of him, to now I'm living in a way that's honoring to Jesus, so I think he likes me more. 
And then I started learning more about the grace of God going, no, that's legalistic. Thinking that I'm better than others because I'm living this way, that's legalistic, that's wrong. So you know what then I started doing? I started judging legalistic people. I was just doing the same thing in a different way. And, and it's painful to me when God says, hey, town, you're still being self-centered. And it's like, oh, you know, thank you for your patience because I'm impatient with me. And growing is a life of, um, of painfully being reminded of how unworthy we are. And also having our identity more and more be secure because we know even though God knows how I'm unworthy I am, he loves me perfectly. See, the gospel um, says that we can break down prejudice because our identity is different now. Our identity is um, I am accepted by God and I am significant to God, not based on what I've done, but based upon who he is and what he's done. And so now I am secure and humble at the same time. And if I'm not secure, then I'll look for other ways to find my security, which leads to prejudice, which leads to I have to make myself feel good about myself and better than others. And so I start looking at ways where I can build my own esteem by looking down on others. And the gospel says, no. You're not worthy of God's love, and yet he loves you. And he's pursuing you. And so now humbly allow him to work through you to pursue others. Because everybody else is just like you, and you're just like everybody else. And so let go of your insecurity and your inferiority that leads to prejudice and barriers between you and others. And if you have a humble and secure heart, then what are you going to do? You're going to listen to people. And you're going to ask questions and not try to project your view of the world or your understanding, but you're going to say, hey, tell me what's going on. Peter, the Cornelius, comes into his house and says, hey, we're all the same. We're all equal in the eyes of God. So Cornelius, why am I here? What are you thinking? And so we humbly listen. Verse 43, and to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness for sins of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him, and this is the good news of Jesus, and, Jesus, and, and Peter is telling um, Cornelius and those in his house. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard this word and who were believing and putting their hope in Jesus. And the believers from among the circumcised, or from, from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were speaking in tongues and exalting and extolling God. And so what was happening is, God said, Peter, go talk to these Gentiles. And, and Peter brought other Jews with him. And what was happening in their presence to these Gentiles who were choosing to follow Jesus was the same thing that happened to them in Acts chapter two on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They began speaking languages that they'd never studied before and yet were foreign languages known by others so other people were understanding, hey, you're speaking my language. And it's like, I've never known how to speak that language. And that was this gift of tongues and they were telling these people from different lands about the good news of Jesus in the language they can understand. And they're going, this is a total miracle, this is amazing. And now with the Gentiles, God allows the same thing to happen so that not one of those Jews could say, I don't think it's really like our salvation. The next chapter, Peter goes back to Jerusalem, goes back to the headquarters of the, of the church, which is all Jews, and says, hey, Gentiles who are choosing to follow Jesus are exactly the same as we are. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. And they're going, what? Yeah. Spirit of God came on them just like he did us. 
And I, I think if the Spirit of God didn't come on them just like they did in Acts chapter 2, they would have said, ah, maybe, um, maybe they're in the family, but they're like stepchild. And it's like, no, no, we are all the same family. And, and, they, and they, um, they began to exalt God, praise God, lift God up. Last, last point is, as a follower of Jesus, the focus of my life changes. This, this is big. This is how the Spirit of God moved in establishing and expanding the early church. And this is how the Spirit of God moves in us. It says they were extolling God. They were exalting him. They were worshiping him. They were giving weight to God. It means in my life, in every one of our lives, we worship something. We look to something that's our hope that will fulfill us. Something that makes us get up in the morning. Something that we're chasing after that we think is gonna give us life and oxygen. And we're chasing that. And whatever that is, that we worship it. And when we come to God, God says, that changes. Whatever it was, we recognize as, as insignificant and unable to fulfill our hopes and dreams. And we change, and we, now we look to God, and we recognize he is our hope. He is, he is who we worship. He only is the one that I was created to be in a relationship with. And he's the one that I'm going after. Now, God is still in the business of changing lives. And that is um, a saying that is fairly popular among Christians in the church. God is in the business still of changing lives. Now listen to that again. God is in the business of changing lives. Yours. Yours. That's what he does. There's two conversions here in Acts chapter 10. There's a conversion of Cornelius and his family and friends to become followers of Jesus. And there's the conversion of Peter to say death of prejudice in life to we are all God's loved creatures of equal value and equally lost who need a savior. Let's break down the barriers. And in your journey, where are you at? And maybe it's conviction. Um, has your social, political conversation these last few years, years influenced you to keep you from wholeheartedly going after breaking down barriers? Because you want to qualify things. You want to say, no, I, I just can't say that because people might misunderstand me to think I'm part of this group. Get rid of that. That's all secondary. And if that at all is hindering you from wholeheartedly embracing all people, then that's a sin that needs to, that needs to be confessed. That's secondary. As a follower of Jesus, I find my identity in him, in him alone, and that's what guides me. And Peter is risking having other people misunderstand him, having his political party misunderstand him, having all his traditions be misunderstood as he's breaking some of them because he wants the heart of God more than anything else. So everything else is in submission to that. And so let's wholeheartedly go after and let's, let's, let's call out prejudice. You know, Peter backslid later on in this. Galatians chapter two, you read it. Um, he gets... You know, he, he's, he's hanging out with his Gentile followers of Jesus and he's having, you know, a bacon sandwich and he's learning about their music and he's going, yeah, I just don't get the beat of your music, but I'm, I'm learning, I'm trying, you know, and, and, he, and he's hanging out with these followers of Jesus that are from a diff, totally different um, ethnicity of him and culture of him, but, but he's building these relationships and all of a sudden these, these traditional Jewish followers of Jesus come to him that are still holding on to Jewish traditions and Peter goes, oh, oh, yeah. And, and so then he starts pulling away from the Gentile followers of Jesus. And Paul comes along and he says, I got in Peter's face and told him, you're sinning. You're pulling back from people you should not be pulling back from. And he, and he rebukes Peter. You see, in our spiritual journey, we drift into homogeneous units. Uh, we, we, we drift, that's where we drift. And God's saying, uh, 
Be intentional. Be intentional. Reach out to other people. My heart's for all. Who's in your life that you need to be reaching out to? Part of that conversion is recognizing I need to change, I need to turn from this, and I need to submit myself to Jesus. And perhaps for you, uh, that's been something you've been putting off, you've been straight arming God, you know he's pursuing you, but the idea of submitting to God and saying, I choose now to follow you, that's a big step. And that's what being a follower of Jesus is. Uh, You you can't follow Jesus by uh, pretending by holding back, but saying, I submit my will, my life, my hopes to you, God. And maybe today somebody's here ready to do that. And if you are, let's just bow our heads and let's pray. And at home, if you're with me, and if that's where you're at, then pray along with me. And you can just talk to God and let him know that, God, um, today I submit my will, my heart, my hope to you. I recognize that I am broken, that I'm self-centered and that I need your grace and mercy. And so I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask that you bring me into your family. And would you to continue to grow um, my thinking and my loving and my living to be more and more aligned to your heart. And it's in your son's name I pray, amen. Father, I pray for each person here. And Father, would your Holy Spirit be the hound of heaven and open our eyes to areas in our life that we've been blind to, we've been thinking is just fine, we're comfortable with, but they separate us from people that your heart is for and our heart hasn't been for. And so Father, would, would, would you grow our hearts even today by exposing where our heart is hard towards others, others that you love and that you died for. May our identity and security be found in you and in you alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer of surrender to God, just congratulations, first of all, and we have just a little bit of information we wanna get in your hands to encourage you in that journey. So as soon as we're done, if you would just take a minute and swing by that center booth out in the middle of the atrium out there and let them know, hey, I, I, I prayed that prayer with Bill this morning, they'll get that information to you and, uh, you, and you'll, find it, you'll find it helpful. And so uh, make sure you do that. And if you're watching online, um, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and uh, Just put your contact information there, and it's not so that we can hound you, but so that we can get that information to you as well. Now, part of following Jesus, like we learned last week, is saying, um, I'm gonna publicly declare it. And uh, and we do that by being baptized. And baptism doesn't save us, but it's saying, I've been washed, forgiven by God, and now I arise as a new person following God. It's, It's an external symbol of an internal reality. And so we have a chance this morning to enjoy a few baptisms. And so look at the screen. Uh, My name is Devin Curtis and I'm a believer in Christ. It all started when I was in seventh grade and my dad sent me a gift, $50, and it was stolen. And I prayed that night that God bring it to me. and the next day, the thief confessed to it, and I got it back. And it wasn't until a few years later when I was 16, I was feeling pretty down. And I confessed out loud that I believe in Jesus Christ, and I felt pretty good. And since then, I've just been a follower. I want to be baptized because I want to let everybody know and the world know that I am a follower. and that I'm ready to give my life completely to Jesus. And I'm really excited about being baptized because I get to not only live my life how I know I should, and I'm excited to live according to the way of Jesus now. Yeah, one, 
one of the things that was not said in the video was that there was actually a boss of yours right yeah. there took you from just a general understanding of God to laying out the gospel and saying, no, this is how we are saved. And it's just a beautiful way of how the church can work in any situation. So Devin, I just want to ask you a couple questions. The first one being, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for your sins? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him today in baptism? Yes. Okay, why don't you come on over here? Devin, because your confession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name's Trevor. I heard a preacher talk about there being a withdrawal from the church since COVID, but without the pandemic, I don't think I would be here getting baptized today. Over the past couple of years, I found myself lost and struggling to find a path forward. As a last effort, I decided to start attending church in January. I was raised with a belief in God but did very little to develop my faith or relationship with Jesus. Thankfully, God put Steve Winstead in my life. Me and my wife attended Rolling Hills Vertical Marriage class, where Steve took it upon himself to start meeting with me one-on-one. -on -one. From our conversations, I decided to accept Jesus into my life. God has already done great things in my life. I look forward to not being so concerned with the struggles that come up in day-to-day -day life knowing that God will always be there and has a plan for me. Without accepting Jesus Christ into my life, I have no doubt that I would still be lost. To anyone who hasn't made the decision to accept Jesus, I would say, quit going at it alone. Life doesn't have to be that hard. By accepting Jesus, God will do great things in your life. Thank you. So, uh... Trevor, I have a few questions for you, okay. just like Jason did. Uh, do you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Yes, I do. And do you give your, your heart, soul, mind, and strength to the Lord? Yes, I do. And based on that confession, I'm going to baptize you. All right, here we go. In the name of the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit, I baptize you, Trevor. Burnham, and this is my son, Caleb. Caleb, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and yeah. believed through that that you will spend eternity with him? Yes. Can you tell us why you're here, why you want to be baptized today? I want to show my faith in God and grow in uh, my relationship. Okay. So proud to be here with you. Okay. Caleb, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 